You are listening to the Sermons Podcast of First Baptist Church, Mount Washington. Well, I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. This morning we're going to look at verses 26 and 27. We've been talking about this uh, Paul's theme in this chapter being assurance of salvation. And uh, if you have been saved by Christ, that is the word of the, the truth of the Bible is that you will be kept. If you've been saved by Christ, you will be kept by him in this salvation. Uh, and uh, as verse 1 says, that there's now no condemnation for those in Christ. And verse 35, there's nothing that can separate us from his love. Now, one of the wonderful truths in this is that our assurance of salvation is based not only in what Jesus has done for us, but on what the Holy Spirit is doing in us. And in a moment, we're going to share the Lord's Supper, and that's certainly reminding us of what Christ has done. But before that, our text this morning leads us to think about what the Spirit is doing his work in our lives. Just two verses, Romans 8, 26 and 27. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And He who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Now, just a brief prayer. Lord, we ask that you would please help us now um, with by your Spirit, Lord, to have understanding of these things, and, and even more than that, for uh, your word to be planted deep in us and and bring forth fruit in our lives, the fruit of Christ-likeness in us. And so help us now. I pray that you would use me as your servant. I pray that you would increase and I would decrease and your word would go forth. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. There's just so much richness in Romans chapter 8. And uh, we think about the Spirit's work, the Holy Spirit's work in our lives. We've already seen it several times. If you go back through with your finger and just follow along, beginning in chapter 8, verse 2, Paul's been describing the Spirit's work in our lives. Verse 2, the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Uh, In verse 5, the Spirit is helping us to set our minds on things of the Spirit, he tells us, spiritual things. Uh, Verse 9, the Spirit uh, takes up residence in our lives. Paul says there that he dwells in us, that when we become Christians, his Spirit comes to live in us. Verse 11, the Spirit works to give life to our mortal bodies. Uh, Verse 13, it is by the Spirit that we put to death the deeds of the body. Put to death our 
our, uh, our sins. Verse 15, by the Spirit's power, he says, we become sons uh, and daughters of God. And verses 14 and 16, uh, that the Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are His children, he says, that we belong to Him. Now, all of that's wonderful, just summary of that, but, but suffering has a way of creating doubt in our lives. And, and one of the reasons is, is that we're prone to think that it, it would be the absence of suffering that would give us assurance that we belong to God. Our minds drift there. They naturally go there. We think, well, now that we're in Christ, we shouldn't have any more suffering. That if God loves us, He would keep us from suffering. And so that when it comes, we begin to doubt God's favor rather than being assured of what He has already told us to be true. And so Paul spends a great deal of time talking about suffering in verses 18 through 25. That was our passage last week. In the present time, uh, because of the fall of Adam, he says, there is sin and suffering in the world. It, it's not going away right now. Uh, even when we trust Christ... And even when His Spirit comes to live in us, we still live in these old bodies that have not been redeemed, and we still live in this fallen world, which is under the dominion of sin. And so just as our Savior suffered before He was resurrected to new life, so will those who follow Him. We will suffer in this sinful world and in these sinful bodies. Remember, Paul described that, we talked about it last week, as he said, all creation is groaning together, verse 22, in the pains of childbirth, waiting to be set free from bondage to corruption, verse 21, to be renewed into a new heaven and new earth when Jesus comes again. And it's not just creation that is groaning under that suffering. Paul says that we as Christians are groaning too, verse 23. Not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit. We have the Spirit living in us. In other words, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. But we don't groan as those who have no hope. As Christians, we have the sure and certain hope of this redemption that is to come. Uh, that sufferings, verse 18, the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. That, that just as our Lord suffered and then received glory, so will we who are in Christ. Verse 17, we are heirs of God, he says. Co-heirs, fellow heirs with Christ, provided that we suffer with Him. It's interesting to me how much that the gospel is a hope-filled message, isn't it? It's hope-filled. In fact, one of the marks of a true Christian, a true believer, is that he or she is filled with hope. We, we don't live in despair. We have hope because of His Spirit that lives in us. Lloyd-Jones explained it like this a long time ago. He writes, Hope is the measure of true Christianity, which is through and through, otherworldly. Pseudo-Christianity, false Christianity, always looks chiefly at this world. 
popular Christianity is entirely this worldly and is not interested in the other world. But true Christianity has its eye mainly on the world which is to come. True Christianity sets its affection on things that are above, not on things which are on the earth. That's what, that's what Paul is saying here. In 2 Corinthians, 2, 4, uh, 2 Corinthians 4, 17 and 18, he said it like this, For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. It's this hope of the gospel, he says, that sustains us in our sufferings. But there's one more thing, Paul says, that sustains us as well. And that's the subject of verses 26 and 27. He says not just that we have this hope to look forward to, but we have his Holy Spirit living in us that helps sustain us through suffering. And Paul explains that, verses 26 and 27, just two points this morning. First, notice he says, the Spirit helps us. Verse 26, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Likewise, he says. In addition to the hope of the gospel, verses 18 through 25, and all that Jesus has done for us, God also, likewise, He has graciously given us His Spirit to help us. This is a tremendous truth, church. He actually, Paul actually introduces it back in verse 15 when he says, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. You remember the word cry there is a very strong word. It's a very intense or emotional word. When we're groaning, that is, under the sufferings of this life, crying out in desperation to our Father. If we have His Spirit in us, we are told that we can run to our Heavenly Father in this we can cry to him, Abba, Father. Now, Paul returns to that thought, verse 26. Likewise, he says, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. As we as Christians are groaning in the sufferings of this world, when we find ourselves in desperate places, in desperate times, when uh, we're battling for holiness in our own lives, battling against sin, uh, battling to maintain some sense of hope in the midst of a, a mess of a world, groaning for a time when everything is going to be made right, grasping for wisdom just to know how to live in it in the midst of all of this suffering, struggling with the weakness of our own flesh. Here's what Paul says, God has given his spirit to help us. It's not just the hope that lies before us of what's coming that sustains us. It's the Spirit of God in us that helps us. Now, that word helps, a very short word, five letters in our uh, English translation. It's, it's interesting. In the Greek text, it's a 17-letter word. Now, I did a little homework to see what other 17-letter English words. I couldn't pronounce most of them, so I won't share them uh, with you. But that's a long word. 
And it makes it kind of hard for those who are translating from the Greek into the English to, uh, to come up with, well, what does this mean? This 17-letter Greek word uh, mean. Uh, in, in the Greek, if you wanted to emphasize something uh, or, or intensify a word, you would add a prefix to it. and You just stick it on the front of the word um, at, at the beginning. And in this case, it's interesting, Paul adds two prefixes to the word. So it's almost like he's underlining the word for us in the Bible. You know, you might want to underline it too if he does that, right? He's, it's like he's saying, you should really pay attention to this word. You should bold it. Uh, highlight it, underline it, uh, put it in all caps uh, for us. The, the root word of it means to take hold of or to bear something. It would be like picking up a box. Um, you, you're having to pick up boxes this time of year uh, to put out the Christmas decorations and, and so forth. It's like taking hold of a box to carry it. The first prefix means with or along with or together with. And the other prefix means in the place of. And so you put all of those words together in this one 17-letter Greek word, um, and, and it means a, a person coming alongside of another person to take part of a heavy load and help him to bear it. That's the sense of it. Uh, and so you can see why the translators just chose the word, he helps. But, but that's the idea. The, the Holy Spirit coming alongside the Christian, helping him or her to bear weaknesses and to, to shoulder these sufferings of the Christian life. How wonderful is that? I, I, I was thinking about a way to illustrate it. Steve Lawson did so well. He, he compared it uh, to, to one of those moving sidewalks in an airport. I think our Louisville airport has one of those. I remember right. But you know what I'm talking about. It's just, it's not really an escalator. It's going up. It's, it's like a, it's a moving sidewalk. You, you just, you make your way onto one of those. You're trying to get to the next place or, or, or so forth. And you step on one of those moving sidewalks and it just propels you along, doesn't it? It's kind of a good feeling as you're, as you're moving along and all these other poor slow people are walking beside you. You're just like zipping by them on this thing. You still walk. But it's like there's power under your feet that's enabling you to walk. But beloved, we don't walk in this Christian life alone. We have the Spirit in us. Jesus said, whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. And of course, at the end of that chapter, John 15, Jesus promises to send the Helper to us. You know, you know, the one whom Paul says here, he helps. He helps. The Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. It's, it's a tremendous truth. Again, the, the verb, we've got to think something of it here, 17 letters. It's in uh, the present tense. It means that he continues to help us. He helps us every moment of every day. Anybody say amen to that? He continues to dwell within you. He's intimately, personally, continually, constantly involved in our spiritual lives, specifically in our sanctification, specifically under the suffering, the groaning that we go through. The verb is also an active voice. It means that the Spirit is active 
in working in us. He's taking initiative to work in us. He is personally, powerfully involved in our lives as Christians. It's also a verb that's in the uh, indicative, which, which means that this is a fact, Christian. This is a statement of truth, a statement of fact. There is no doubt about this. When Jesus said in Matthew 28, 28, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age, he meant that his spirit is always with us, always working in us, always producing in us. And that's so important because we're weak people. Amen? That's, a, that's the place you're supposed to amen. He helps us in our weakness, he says. The King James Version, I think, translates that word infirmities. Or you might translate it disabilities. Our helplessness. When we are overwhelmed with suffering in this fallen world or in our fallen lives, when we are uh, grieving and groaning the brokenness that is in us and the brokenness that is around us, when we can't seem to find a victory over sins of our flesh and we continue to flail and struggle, uh, when we can't seem to, think back to last week, when we can't seem to stretch out our necks far enough above the clouds and the doubts and the suffering to see this incredible hope that we have in the gospel of Jesus Christ, oh God, we cry to him, Abba, Father, and he helps us. He helps us. Through his Holy Spirit, he carries us along through the Christian life. But Paul goes on to tell us, secondly, though, that the Spirit intercedes for us. Verse 26, he says, For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. At times, Paul says that we're so weak and disabled that we don't even know what to pray for. We should, as believers, have enough sense about us to cry out to our Heavenly Father, right? We know that we should pray, because, and, and prayer even of itself is an acknowledgement of our weakness before God. We need you, Abba, Father. Derek Thomas writes this, Prayer unveils for us the depth of our weakness. For not only are we unable to bring about what we ask for, we're not even capable of asking for the right things by our strength. Have you experienced that kind of weakness? Have you found yourself in a place where all you can do is cry out to God for help? The amazing thing about this verse, I think, is that we learn here that the Spirit, I'm sure you notice this, that the Spirit groans with us and intercedes for us. It, that's a startling truth. He's already told us that all of creation is groaning, and he's told us that all Christians are groaning, and now he says the Spirit is groaning too. Now, now obviously, that's not in the same way that we groan. We know that the Spirit's not groaning because he don't know what to say. Or pray, that's 
silly or that the Spirit is in need of redemption of His body or something like we are. That's ridiculous. The Holy Spirit is God. Amen? But rather groaning, he's groaning in the sense apparently that the Spirit is identifying with our suffering. And here's a way to think about this or a helpful way. Hebrews 4.15, speaking of our Lord Jesus, says this, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. And so in a similar way here, the Spirit of Jesus, Paul says, is groaning with us, I think sympathizing with our weaknesses. And in fact, this groaning, he says, flows out of the Spirit's intercession for us. We do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Think of that. The Holy Spirit is praying uh, with us or even for us with, with groans that words cannot express. To, to intercede means to, to pray for, to plead with someone else, to plead for someone else on, on their behalf for someone who is superior. So you stand in between them, in between the weaker and the stronger, and you represent the weaker before the stronger. You're interceding. You're pleading for the weaker before the stronger, interceding for their best, for their good. Again, we often think of this when we think of Christ, Christ being fully God, fully man. We think about this time of year, a perfect Savior who died uh, in our place on the cross, who rose again on the third day, ascended back to God the Father, where we are told in the Scripture that Jesus now sits at the right hand of God. What is He doing there? Paul tells us, look down in Romans 8.34, sneak peek. Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God. And what is He doing? He's interceding. For us. Hebrews 7.25 tells us that, that Jesus is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through Him since He always lives to make intercession for them. This is glorious truth. One reason why we will never be lost again once we are saved is because Jesus Christ is sitting at the right hand of God interceding for us, church. He's pleading our righteousness before the Father. And those whom Jesus is interceding for will never be lost again. What an incredible truth. Here again, the assurance of our salvation is based on the power and character of a Trinitarian God. We Pray to the Father through the Son and by the Spirit. And when we don't even know what to pray for, we're told here in verse 26 that the Spirit Himself intercedes for us. John Murray uh, wrote this in his commentary that the children of God have two intercessors. We have two intercessors. Christ is our intercessor in the court of heaven, and the Holy Spirit is, the, is our intercessor in the theater of our own hearts. That's incredible. 
And, and he's praying for us. The Spirit prays for us with groanings too deep for words. There's a lot of debate about that. It literally means this, wordless groans. Wordless groans. This is not a reference for some mysterious kind of prayer language. Um, I don't think that's what this means at all. Verse 27 actually helps us to understand what Paul means. Verse 27, And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. The reason the Spirit doesn't have to speak is because the Father knows the mind of the Spirit. Just a quick note here. Notice the Spirit is a person in the Godhead. A person. He is not a force. He is not an it. Paul says that he has a mind, the mind of the Spirit. Did you catch that? He says that he has emotions. He is groaning with us. He has a will, which is the same as the Father's will. So he is not a force like in Star Wars. Uh, the Holy Spirit is a person in the Godhead. We worship one God in three persons. Perfect unity, perfect fellowship, and when the Spirit prays for us, He prays according to the will of the Father. That's what that means. That's why there's no need for words. I love how Thomas, Derek Thomas explains it. He says, when the Holy Spirit intercedes on our behalf, He speaks with divine eloquence. He doesn't even need words because the Father knows the mind of the Spirit already, you see. And because of that, here's the good news, Paul says, when we don't have the words to pray, as uh, Carolyn Nystrom, J.I. Packer, on their book on prayer put it this way, here's the truth, the Spirit fixes our prayers on the way up. Any of your prayers ever need fixing? Doriani explains it like this, he takes our mutterings, and wrong-headed petitions purifies them and presents them to the Father. That's really good news. That means that the Holy Spirit's presence in us reassures us that no matter how mixed up we may be, He will overrule us. With His help, our prayers reach the Father in perfect form. With His prayers, like the prayers of Jesus, our prayers are always heard and always answered because the Spirit prays, intercedes for us. That's a great thought, isn't it? And you think of Ephesians 3, 20 and 21 in light of this. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. According to the power at work within us. To him be glory. Now church, this should motivate more praying and not less. This should inspire more hope in the midst of our sufferings. We have the very Spirit of God living in us 
interceding for us, and what assurance this gives us, again, of salvation, of sanctification, even our glorification. As Christians, our entire life is sustained by this glorious Trinitarian God. That's amazing. Just a quick peek ahead. Next week is that favorite verse of so many, verse 28, where it says, uh, all things work together for good. The reason that's true is because the Spirit of God is praying for us in ways that we can't comprehend. When we find ourselves between a rock and a hard place or even at the end of our rope, proverbially, or, or in our darkest night, or, or even for that matter, in our best days, it doesn't matter. The Spirit of God is praying on our behalf and God is hearing that prayer and answering that prayer and causing all things to work together for our good. Be confident in that today. Be, be comforted by that enormous truth today. Be assured of that today. Those of you who had praying parents or grandparents and are so thankful for that legacy of praying for you, that legacy of faith and encourage, don't forget that no one prays for you like the Spirit of God. What a good and faithful God that we have. Lord, thank you for these words this morning, and I pray that it would give us great comfort and confidence and assurance today. For those of us who are yours, may we rest in these truths and rejoice in them. For those who are not your children, even some that may be here today, Oh, Lord, help them to see. Open their eyes to see the amazing truth of who you are, what you've done, what you're doing. And may they turn from themselves and their sin and put their trust in Jesus alone. Keep us near the cross, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast. I'm Pastor Jason Clark. And if you don't have a church home, I want to personally invite you to First Baptist Mount Washington. We're striving to be word-centered, gospel-focused, and community-minded. Learn more about our church and our meeting times from our website, fbcmw.org.